0: I've got our wrestling correspondent back with us. Blake, is that a good enough title or do you want an actual like real title name?
1: No, it's it's fine. But I will say that the lack of energy in the introduction and the lack of creativity in the title, <laughs> uh, you're not cut out for manager life. You could never be Harvey Whippleman.
0: You're telling me I, I can't be Mean Gene Okerlund?
1: Mean Gene, maybe that's we know you get the interview skills and you can get good quotes out of people. Uh, I don't know if you have uh, twisting people's words around to start feuds in you though. That's more of a it's more of a newspaper approach
0: than a than a digital media approach. Wow, are we already referencing something specific again? Yeah. All right, yeah. it's gonna be one of those. Didn't know you can, was gonna You could
1: take shots at the people who absolutely you know for sure aren't listening to this podcast. So.
0: <laughs> what if he's like a huge Bash at the Beach fan? Like specifically Bash at the Beach.
1: Yeah, he just has a Twitter column up for the words Bash at the Beach. 96 to
0: 98. Oh, so today Blake and I are going to go through the history and the formation and the breakup of the NWO. And also specifically we want to touch on Dennis Rodman's cameos that he made in WCW since uh, the Last Dance documentary has been a thing that's been dominating the new cycle, Rodman had two very high profile matches at Bash of the Beach in 97 and 98, which we'll get into. But first of all, I wanna ask you, Blake, we can start talking about the New World Order and the formation of that. What were your memories growing up of, you know, watching that come together on WCW?
1: Honestly, I don't have a ton of uh, memories from that moment just because like we kind of talked about when we did the the King of the Ring episode, I wasn't at that age, I wasn't allowed to watch it really. So most of my watching was like sneaking it either in my basement when my parents weren't around or going over to my friend Chuck's house after school on Tuesdays to watch the replays. And me and Chuck were like, we leaned toward WWF over WCW. And because you kind of had to choose between Raw and Nitro at the time, uh, I tended to when I was able to sneak, I tended to. Uh, watch a little bit more wwf and play the wwf video games more than the wcw ones um so a lot of my nwo was like kind of secondhand, like people talking about it at school and like you know you'd be out at recess and like this group of some, some kids would be dx kids and some kids would be nwo kids uh and then that obviously starts your own uh, your own schoolyard rivalries and fights and stuff like that um but i don't really you know most of my nwo knowledge has been like backward looking once once I was a little older and, and kind of you know nostalgic revisiting a, of the NWO
0: would you think it would be fair to say that the WCW just wasn't cool back then because when I think about it not a lot of people really talked about it and honestly even when NWO became the biggest thing in wrestling it, it was kind of separate from the WCW brand still like I didn't see people stop watching Raw, stop watching, like, the WWF pay-per-views, but they just knew of NWO and liked that particular storyline.
1: Yeah, I think there's probably a part of that. Like, I don't think, you know, during the Monday Night Wars, I don't think anyone was jumping from WWF to WCW for any reason other than the NWO. And WCW did have this, uh, you know, this pretty historic stretch where they were ahead in the ratings. But one, I think that was, like, I don't want to talk out of pocket because I don't have, like, the, the data that granular or whatever. But I know that, like, WCW was, like, at least on the come up and then toward the end, like, a Southern brand. Like, they had the Southern audience, whereas WWE, WWF was more of, like, the Northeast. And then I think, like, California were their hotter spots. Um, and then I think the other thing for, for the two of us, too, is I don't remember for sure, but, like, was Nitro available on Canadian TV, like, live?
0: That's a really good question because... I don't remember ever having access to it because if i did i feel like i would be flipping channels right
1: yeah i remember even like in high school i would get wcw thunder on tbs but i would have to read the nitro results online so that could be why like people like me and you
0: remember wwf being a a little bit bigger yeah definitely i was not watching any of the nitro stuff live but i definitely remember all the buzz In 96 when Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall, left WWF and he shows up on Nitro and later on Kevin Nash shows up, I think a week later, and they're just full out referencing the Razor Ramon persona and referencing the Monday Night War that was going on like they were the outsiders. And this was this whole like just breaking like the kayfabe and all of that stuff. That was like a super like important moment in wrestling, right? Oh, yeah, it's Huge. Um, you know, one for the, the whole Monday Night
1: Wars thing where, you know, obviously the health of wrestling at that time, you look at where wrestling is now and absolutely the wrestling world could have supported like two two companies like WCW and WWF. Now, like one, there's only one company and it gets a fraction of the of the ratings. Um, sorry, I guess there's more than one company. There's one monolith uh, that gets a fraction of the, of the ratings they used to get. Um, but it's pretty big on a couple of fronts and, and you know, the the Monday Night Wars is probably the biggest because that was the most important thing to like business at the time. Um, But I think the other ways it was important, um, one, that kind of, like you said, the breaking of the kayfabe where it's like, oh my God, like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are WWF guys and they're coming to WCW. That was when you first kind of started seeing the fourth wall being broken and, and, you know, wrestlers and the companies themselves referencing things that were supposed to be not public knowledge like at that point everyone knew that wrestling was scripted but you still weren't like openly talking about it on camera and that had the benefit of like making something seem cool and edgy in the moment and then also like basically destroying WCW eventually because all they were doing was like this super meta post kayfabe stuff um and then you know it's still a problem that wwf deals with or wwe rather deals with today where you know that curtain has been pulled back maybe a little too far and there's no you know there's no putting it back after you've revealed so many of the secrets and kind of reference things like bookers and writers and contracts and things like that so um it was pretty revolutionary at the time it probably set the industry in the big picture down the wrong path creatively but for that like two to three year stretch um being willing to do that hilariously like one of the swing moments of the the monday night wars was also eric bischoff taking that too far and like reading live reading pre-taped wwf results on the air and then people like on mass switched over to see what was happening um so anyway it was genius at the time and a huge creative step um and like it was just very cool to to remember back especially because you you were basing it around hall and nash who like we talked about in the King of the Ring episode when you know they were first kind of both starting out. Both of those guys just exuded so much cool. So to be doing that, you know, it's one thing if you do that with a couple of jobbers or a couple of guys who can't cut their own promos or whatever. But to take two of the coolest and hottest guys in
0: wrestling and build that around them was um, it was really smart. Yeah, it was just like the perfect storm at the time. And I know we referenced the Monday Night Wars a few times already. For for anyone listening that's interested, there's like a 16 part I think documentary on the monday night wars that i think is still on the wwe network and yeah speaking of which to to catch up on nwo and rodman stuff uh, i finally got my wwe network subscription and i gotta say man i highly recommend it for anybody
1: yeah, those two AM uh McDonald's Uber Eats hit hit different when things going toe toe with uh with Ric Flair, right?
0: You mean those two AM Uber Eats uh delivery fees hit different when you win a poker tournament, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Although I was uh I was in the town of Drumbo this past Saturday when I when I placed in the podium, so there's no no Uber Eats out that far.
0: When I told Will we were recording a pod today he thought we were doing a whole pod on the poker game on Saturday and like oh, slandering God. him
1: <laughs> it, look we it, it could have you know it, the, the tough thing would have been well one uh, you know Nav was on basically Nav's storyline got cut off he was taking out every Yahoo person the whole tournament <laughs> and then uh, and who was it Mac took him out at the end?
0: yeah he uh, I think he had like 5% to win after the flop on an all in and and he won
1: I had that great run, though. I I went from the low stack to the high stack over the course of three hands. That was a
0: Goldberg (laughs) push. It it was great, man. Having eleven people was great. For for anyone listening, you know, uh, I hope you really enjoy Blake and I talking about our Poker Stars home games. Yeah. So, back to Hall and Ash, and before we even get into NWO, so I got most of my info from watching a great doc on the WWE Network, who who are I guess unofficially sponsoring this pod called WWE Untold NWO: The Revolution. Can we talk about how Vince McMahon still had the in- the intellectual property to the razor Ramon and diesel characters and made these two other wrestlers. And I think diesel was played by the guy who ended up playing Kane, right? Yeah. Uh, That, that there was a fake razor Ramon and diesel at the same time when Holland Nash showed up. It's just like,
1: it's, you know, I would love to say that it's the good kind of petty, but it absolutely wasn't. It was like, like I, I would be down for a lot of petty things in, in wrestling, Um, But this one was just like, it looked so budget and it made like, I mean, first of all, it's like the wrong kind of kayfabe breaking where you're like, oh, yeah, those two guys were just playing a character and we could just roll the character out. But also like the guy who played fake Razor was just such a jabroni. (laughs) And like, I I just don't know how they ever expected that to work other than to draw attention. Like it just all it did was draw attention to the fact that Razor and Diesel left.
0: And I have to give credit to WCW because a lot of times, especially in that era when wrestlers would switch between WCW and WWF, they would just come up with a new character or a new type of gimmick. And instead of like reaching and creating some sort of new gimmick for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, like they just kept them as they were. I thought that was genius.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think Hall and Nash and especially Nash has been like, if you look deep on Nash's career, he was always like pretty ahead of the curve in terms of labor and creative things like getting some creative control in his contract. And I think the when WWF wouldn't let them take the names going by your own name is a smart move at that point, because first of all, you're already, you know, you're already at the top of the game, like you're not going to get any higher. So it's not like you have to worry about, um, you know, go, if you have, if you have to go back to WWF with your tail between your legs and they saddle you with a bad gimmick or something like that, it's like, no, you can, you can own your own stuff once you're at that level. So Nash and hall coming in under the real names where it's like, you know, they didn't go back until after WCW died, but I'm sure there was an element in Nash's head where he was like, well, if I go back later and, you know, business swings or whatever, now I own my own name. And I wouldn't have to change characters again. And that's something that, you know, I think toward the end of the rivalry, guys tried to do a little bit more. And then once WCW died, it was basically dead for a long time where if you were like a hot independent guy or coming over from Japan or whatever... WWF would repackage you and give you a new name so that they own the rights to it. And then it wasn't until like I think CM Punk came along where he was able to negotiate like, no, I own my own trademarks and stuff like that. So um, Nash pretty ahead of the curve on the the owning
0: your own owning your own what's it called in the in the music industry. Um, <laughs> Are we gonna have to call Steve from Pop here to yeah to get the reference? yeah
1: <laughs> owning your own masters? There you go. That's what I'm looking for. Ah
0: uh, yes yes so. The NWO doesn't officially form until the 1996 Bash at the Beach pay-per-view. So in preparation of this, I did rewatch the main event from that year. And it was the Outsiders, Hall and Nash against... I guess this was like billed as like the best from the WCW side because they were trying to fight off these guys who were infiltrating them. So it was Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger... In face paint so I have a question for you was Lex Luger good in WCW no
1: no we (laughs) you know how I feel about Lex Luger man
0: I was teeing you up bro
1: yeah I think uh, I think Lex Luger was not great but he was like I mean he was like the WWF guy that went over before the other guys right and um, another guy who got to keep his name um, but yeah he went over and I don't think he ever like got I know he was popular and he was at the top of the card and stuff, but I don't think he ever, like, became, like, the guy the way that they had maybe hoped. Um, but, you know, that's that's what, it's kind of what you do with booking, right? You want a guy to get over as a babyface, you have him go out there with Sting every week.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I was just surprised to see him as part of this event because I understand, obviously, Macho Man and Sting. I, I just didn't know Luger was, I, I guess he had a pretty big run in WWF before coming over. I was just surprised to see him in this match.
1: Yeah, he's uh, you know, someone someone's got to eat the pins, right? You got to have a uh no, but I think you know, part of it too is that like like you have a whole card that you have to build for this event and then you can't how many guys can you commit to the main event and stuff and they had to have a they had to have a third guy on that team. And I think the way the storyline goes, it's it's heavily sting and macho for for a while, but because there's three in the NWO, you need three on the other side. And I think that's probably you know, why you reach on a Luger.
0: Yeah, so the hilarious part is, well, yeah, so so the announcers keep hinting that there's going to be a third member of the NWO that's going to be unveiled. But of course, Hall and Nash just come out like just themselves. And it's a two-on-three match to start. And it's hilarious because Lex Luger gets knocked out really early in the match. And then they have to bring a stretcher to get him out. I'm actually not sure if it was a real injury. I'm assuming it wasn't. They just wanted to make it a two-on-two. And Holland Nash are, like, trying to attack Lex Luger while he's being strapped to a stretcher, which was hilarious.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wonder at the time, like, I would, it would be cool to be able to go back with fresh eyes not knowing what happened. And, like, I wonder if you would have thought in the moment that Luger was going to be the third man just because, like, oh, like, he fakes an injury to get out of there and he's going to turn on Sting and Macho or something like that.
0: Yeah, and shout-outs to Michael Buffer and Tony Schiavone. I totally forgot about these Michael Buffer let's-get-ready-to-rumble <laughs> intros that he would do, and they are still amazing watching them today. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and it even was the namesake for Ready to Rumble, the WCW movie around David Arquette, where he ended up winning the WCW <laughs> championship in real life.
0: Unbelievable. And Tony Schiavone is really playing this up at the start of the match uh, when Holland... Nash come out he's like this is like watching the OJ trial on TV (laughs) (laughs) and this is being officially billed as a hostile takeover match and that you know Shivani talks about how the outsiders are threatening the sanctity of the WCW and all the commentators are making sure that you know that there's police and security everywhere in case things break out which is just amazing so (laughs) before the match uh, Hall and Nash cut a promo with Mean Gene Okerlin in the ring, which was amazing. Again, man, I- I'm just a huge fan of Mean Gene, like, he just makes every single scene work. And, um, I just cracked up when Razor Ramon called Mean Gene a little man in his accent.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's the Craig Sager of, of pro wrestling, man. It's
0: just like everyone has
1: their best promos when he's around, and uh, even Popovich would give him a quote.
0: <laughs> so, you know i'm sure people know now so hulk hogan shows up in his whole hulkamania gear towards the end of the match and and like you were saying it's interesting like i wonder at the time the minute that hogan shows up i I feel like everyone in the crowd and everyone watching has to know that he's the third guy right but i don't think so because i don't think
1: like like i think because the internet wasn't a thing like a, a a heavily used thing yet and like people weren't how do I phrase it? People weren't, like, smart to what goes on in wrestling. And, like, I don't think – you you have, like, this era now of online fans and there's this, like, arrogance of we can predict every single thing that's coming and you can't surprise us and stuff. I feel like back then there was way less of that, especially because they hadn't, like, broken the walls of kayfabe. And Hulk Hogan had, like, never been a heel. Uh, I, I feel like it would have – because, like, even if you listen to the crowd reactions, it's not, it's not like, an immediate – Oh shit! Hogan's the third man. It you can kind of suspend that disbelief, and it's like, oh, maybe Hogan's actually out to help. Although, you know, why they'd get to have a four on two, I don't really know. But um, I feel like you could have still been surprised as long as like you weren't, uh, you know, you weren't trying to to lose the surprise, which is what I think a lot of a lot of fans in the modern day do.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I really don't want to downplay this, because when Hogan goes in and makes his heel turn and does his leg drop on Macho Man, it is like this crazy moment, right? Because cause like you mentioned, up to this point, he was Hulkamania, like he was the face of WWF. And we talked about before, too, how he represented this whole American hero. And then he cuts this like legendary promo with Mean Gene Okerlund, where he just blasts everyone including the WWF which he keeps referring to as the organization up north and talks about how he made everyone in that organization rich and he says that if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan Eric Bischoff would still be selling meat out of a truck in Minnesota (laughs) and another amazing WCW memory is how they would just always throw trash in the ring yeah
1: yeah it's amazing and he's just getting showered and the the thing about his like organization promo is that he said organization so many times that he then like he introduces the new world order as the new world organization uh he like (laughs) the biggest moment and this huge heel turn he calls them he calls his own group the wrong name
0: (laughs) oh man that's amazing so nw officially quote unquote takes over wcw from here on out and they just start building more and more members Uh, i believe the earlier members that they introduced included Ted DiBiase, the Giant, Vincent, who people might know as Virgil. Uh, apparently, Vincent, he's the head of security of NWO, and this was supposed to be a riff of Vince McMahon. Six, which was 123Kid, aka um, X Pac. Um, and I mean, they're dominating at the time, and it's like the best storyline. How quick do you think it started becoming a little bit overkill of them just bringing everybody into the fold?
1: Yeah, going back and like watching highlights and like what these pay per views were like, and even reading like if you read the Wikipedia, it's like overwhelming to try to keep up with who's joining and who they're attacking and who's joining after they get attacked and stuff. Um, I think it probably went for a while, where like it was cool and and to have like a truly dominant say. And I know, so I know what they were trying to build toward was like basically nwo being its own brand within a brand like similar to how wwe tried to do the brand split eventually where raw and smackdown were different like i think they wanted to get it that big where it was like a 50 50 war um so it makes sense through that lens but it was just like it had to have made everything so repetitive like every match ends with interference every match has the question of like oh is this guy gonna turn and join the nwo and then like you know, it's kind of cool for a little while that like every match is NW versus WCW at some point. Um, but also like it gets super repetitive with all the interference and all the disqualifications and stuff. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it couldn't have been very long. Like you could probably get like a couple months of like, oh, it's cool. What's this building toward? And then like once you get to the low card guys turning on pe- like you've got like the second match on the show and it's for the hardcore title. And there's an angle where, you know, the, the NWO helps someone and you've got these low card guys swerving into NWO. That, that's probably the point where uh, it lost its <laughs> lost its juice.
0: Yeah, they they legit had, like, a 40-man baseball roster. Probably more than that at some point. And I do remember there was, like, that... I think this was in, like, 98. There was this one time when, um, like, Hogan just, like, did a finger poke to Nash. Yeah. And, and Nash would just fall down and Hogan would get the championship. And when they started breaking down into the different factions, like, the Wolf Pack, and then there was, like, the Latino World Order. like LWO! It, it, <laughs> LWO. Like, it just... It really just started getting out of hand and and like you were saying earlier like i've never seen them take anyone like in wrestling take one single idea which was a brilliant idea and just really just beat it to the ground from the start
1: yeah i just looked it up and the original version that ran from that bash at the beach until like april of 98 had 27 members and that's when they (laughs) split into uh hollywood and wolfpack when it got to 27 members
0: Yeah, and at some point, like, it was cool at the start, obviously, when it's like, oh, these two guys are coming in from WWF. But like you are saying, man, like, you can only spray paint NWO on the backs of, like, a guy you just beat with, like, 40 guys in the ring, like, so many times. Like, it's just not interesting after a while.
1: Yeah, I will say there was the one cool part, and I guess this was still pretty early on, so it's still fresh, is, like, um, there was an NWO Japan also, where WCW had that working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and some of the Japanese guys would come over like Masahiro Chono, even, like, Scott Norton, who wasn't much in WCW, but was, like, a really big thing in New Japan, and then, like, the great Muda was a member of NWO Japan, those ones were kind of cool, just to, like, expand the universe a little bit and, and spread it out to Japan Um, and had those different faces, but yeah, when you're talking about like, um, like I'm looking at some of the names here and like, Oh, Brian Adams joins the NWO, (laughs) Louis Spicoli joins the NWO, uh, like big Bubba Rogers and Michael Wall Street who were big boss man and IRS under the WCW names. Like, Oh, they joined the NWO on consecutive weeks. Like, is that, are, are we really popping for IRS joining the NWO as
0: like their accountant? What's going on here? uh a Tillman Fertita definitely is not um but <laughs> that's our that's our obligatory uh one Tillman Fertita reference Tillman
1: Fertitta yeah Michael uh, IRS is in NWO and they get the 27 people and he's like oh we're over the ta- we're over the cap Bischoff we can't spend into the luxury tax we got to split NWO into into Wolfpack and Hollywood for cap purposes
0: Shouts to uh, Toma Fertitta just calling up Sam Amick last week to confirm that he's not broke. I respect it. Um, it, 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 It's it's funny when you talk about how, you know, the NWO obviously got really bloated with their roster. And, like, if you compare it to DX, like, DX reformed, you know, and brought in new members, um, you know, especially after Shawn Michaels, I think, had to leave because of injury for a bit. Like, but they never, like made it as bloated as nwo and i felt like dx really had the blueprint of like what to do when you have a really good faction and a really good storyline that you can run with right
1: yeah and i think you know that's a good lesson in how to run a storyline like this and how factions work best um at least in that era and and the benefit i guess that dx had was that they came a little later and you could kind of learn from the mistakes that nwo made um and I, I guess, like, maybe WCW stayed committed to this whole NWO versus WCW part of the angle for too long, where, like, it necessitated NWO being big numbers-wise. Um, but, yeah, DX, I mean, DX keeping it tight was a better way to do it. The real best way to do it is, like, what Japanese pro wrestling does now, where basically, like, everyone is split into, like, five or six teams. Like, you've got your group of friends that you hang out with, and sometimes you fight together. That's the most logical way to do it to me. Um But yeah, keeping it tight, like the WWE has run into it a couple times too. Like even when they relaunched the NWO in WWE, they quickly like added a bunch of people to it. It was like, this just looks weird, man. You got like Booker T and Shawn Michaels in the NWO.
0: Yeah, first of all, Shawn Michaels can be in DX NWO. I feel like that just ruins it a little bit. And, yeah, the documentary, uh, you know, touches on the fall of not just NWO, but WCW as well. It eventually gets bought by the WWE. And it's funny to see Vince McMahon, after he took ownership of everything, bring back the original NWO. Like, I I felt like by that point, like, he was just trying to sell merch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's smart, though, right? Like the end of i i have an nwo shirt and it's the oldest shirt that i have it's also the smallest shirt that i have and would probably come down to like my belly button right now but um i mean that's a that's a smart money grab i think is like if you can refresh it obviously that angle that angle was a bust i think mostly because the crowd wanted hogan to be a good guy um but also like i think scott hall relapsed with some of his personal issues and then kevin nash dealt with uh, injury trouble so that kind of got undercut it at least made sense from like a storyline standpoint that vince mcmahon had lost control of wwe so he was going to bring in these guys to kill it like they killed wcw um <laughs> that's like kind of clever at least but yeah this is uh it was pretty dead off the ground And i think at that point like those guys are all old enough and the nwo was far enough in the past like i think it was like two three years in the past at that point Um, And like we're talking like six years since the NWO first launch that everyone kind of just wanted like the dream matches to come of it. And like you wanted Rock and Austin against the guys from the NWO. You didn't really I don't think anyone really wanted like the NWO angle back. They just wanted the guys from the NWO and maybe the shirts.
0: Yeah, those those were probably like crazy, like 90s fantasy wrestling matches. Right. To see the top WWF guys Hogan against... against the
1: Rock Stone Cold against Scott Hall.
0: Yeah, Kevin it's... Nash
1: against whoever the, the Alex McKechnie of WWE is.
0: <laughs> it's funny you mention uh, Rock versus Hogan because they actually fought at WrestleMania in 2002 yeah. at SkyDome here in Toronto. And I watched some of that match in preparation of this too because Hogan was in his full NWO gear. And he was getting crazy cheers from that crowd. like They were getting real nostalgic for him.
1: Yeah, and I think he turns face pretty much right after that. Um, you also had Austin against Hall on that card, which I I remember being really bad, but I think Scott Hall sells the stunner like incredibly <laughs>
0: in that match. I love people when people get stunned and like their whole body drops, but then pops up again before falling down again. Yes. <laughs> like that level of selling. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, what's crazy is like you look at this card and you've got The Rock versus Hogan um, Stone Cold against Scott Hall. You've even got like the Undertaker against Ric Flair. And the main event is Triple H against Chris Jericho. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's, no, like, you... it's like you have the best NBA playoffs ever and it's Jazz Pacers in the finals. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you, you make a good point, though. The crossovers, I guess, would have been cool and nostalgic for people. At and that sorry,
1: point. I I just got to clarify that. I don't mean that as disrespect to Jericho in general. I think he's maybe like the best of all time. But at that moment, to not have The Rock against Hogan as the main event is insane.
0: I thought you were going to apologize to Joe Wolfon, to be honest.
1: Oh, yeah. No, Joe, Joe <laughs> Wolfon, man. I haven't seen a guy lose money like that since Tillman Fertitta. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. So before we get to specifically Dennis Rodman's WCW career, do you have anything to add overall to the rise and fall of the New World Order?
1: Not really. I mean, it's been talked over a lot. I think, you know, nostalgia is a pretty fun thing, and it's something that wrestling leans on too much. But also, like, then you fire up the WCW NWO documentary and you realize how much fun it was at that time. And I mean you I I would recommend going and looking at what the ratings were like at that point in time where like WCW and WWF were trading like 10 million viewers every Monday and like now Raw is barely scraping 2 million viewers every week it's it's pretty crazy um and I think you know, I think the popular, the height of popularity that wrestling reached during this NWO period and the DX period that kind of followed, um, you know, I think that's why so many people roughly our age are so nostalgic for wrestling. And like someone like me will have patience with the the shittier wrestling product now um, because there is that attachment and nostalgia to it. I don't know. Also, there are just some like if you were a wrestling fan at all, like go through the NWO Wikipedia page and read some of the names who joined and like turned as part of the NWO storyline. It's like, I, I honestly can't imagine sitting through episodes of Monday Night Nitro toward like the end when the NWO was most bloated. It's ridiculous.
0: Man, the notes that you would have you would have been taking for those episodes would have been amazing though.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: um. Yeah, I've always been meaning to ask you too, just as a side note, Um, So you've never stopped watching wrestling?
1: Uh, I have for like bits and pieces. Um, Like when I, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch it for some stretch. And then like I watched it a bunch in high school, but then I didn't really watch it when I went away to university that much. Um, I would like play the video games and stuff still. And then there was like there was like a pretty long period in like my mid 20s where I didn't watch it all. And then. You know, I don't want to overshare a personal story, but my one brother and I, that's like really the only thing we connect over. And there was a period of time where because of some stuff going on, it was important for me to stay connected with him. And that's when I kind of got back into it more, um, more than just like like I'd always kept up. Like I would know who like John Cena was. I could tell you who the champ was and stuff like that, but um, to watch it more regularly. And then right now we're probably in a period of me not watching it much at all because it's just been so bad the last little while.
0: Yeah, but you know, I respect people like you who like still keep up and haven't given up. Do you think like obviously I don't think we'll ever get back to the heights of the golden era, the attitude era in the 90s, but do you think there are things that could be done that maybe in the future like wrestling could hit the mainstream a little bit more again?
1: Maybe I think you know what what that probably requires is like someone to break through as like a larger than life crossover superstar. And it's like, you look at a guy like John Cena, who's had major acting roles and like, is the all time leader in make a wish foundation wishes granted. And is this like really likable guy who most people can recognize. And it just like, even with a guy like him, it just isn't there. So I think, you know, and I think the the accessibility of other wrestling promotions has kind of shifted Rest, wrestling culture in general from being something a lot of people enjoy casually to something a smaller group of people enjoy at like a hardcore level. And I don't think that's unique to wrestling. I think you see it in like comic book culture and the amount of comic book based shows and movies that get made. I think you see it in some of the other like quote unquote um nerd subgenres where like everyone everything that used to be a niche thing that was maybe Um, not accessible to everyone at the volume they would like. Like, it's really easy to find a group of like-minded people now and be hardcore about something. And for not just things like wrestling, but even something like a show or, you know, source material for shows and movies to have like this rabid cult following. And then, you know, then you get your breakthroughs like Game of Thrones, where that was originally like a nerdy subculture kind of thing and hit the mainstream. But it's hard to predict what's going to break through like that. So um, I could see it happening but i think a lot would have to click right and they're gonna have to like fundamentally rethink how they build characters and stars Um, the other option might be to, and i think this is if triple h were to ever take over from vince mcmahon as like the head of creative now that vince is in his 70s i think the the pivot might be and you wouldn't get back to the audiences of the monday night wars but you might be able to get more audience back and more advertisers back without that era of wrestling. So dumb is to treat it more like a sports presentation. And I don't mean like pretend that it's real or anything like that. I just mean, um, you know, make the, the presentation style a little less glitzy and a little less like you're trying to make movies and take it back a little more to like you're presenting fights. And the storylines are the ridiculous stuff on top of it, um, not this whole like there are ten million dollars worth of lights and strobes for every entrance and stuff like that. Um, I don't really know though, man. It's uh, it's pretty crazy to see like one tenth of the people watching a Monday Night Raw as we're watching Raw and Nitro now. I don't know how you get that back.
0: Yeah, is Vince's hands-on as you know with everything like creatively now as he was before?
1: Apparently, everything creative still runs through him. Like he has the final say on everything for like Raw and SmackDown and pay-per-views. Not so much NXT, but the the main stuff.
0: That's wild, and and like who do you think would like take over when he like passes away? Is it gonna be like Shane McMahon or Stephanie McMahon? I think it would be Triple H and
1: Stephanie. Like Shane McMahon's not as involved in the day to day stuff. Um, I think like Stephanie and Triple H run things for the underneath him for the most part. So um, the other the other thing to consider there or that that they'll have to consider is that like it's publicly traded. So depending on whether Vince steps down or whether he passes away or something like that. Um, you know, it might not be a a handing of the torch. There might be more people with an opinion on it.
0: Yeah, so we're recording this with six of the 10 episodes of The Last Dance having aired on ESPN, or I guess Netflix, if you're in Canada. And, you know, they still might touch on Dennis Rodman's time in WCW because it crosses over with the 97-98 NBA Finals. Um, So we wanted to dive into this today with... Uh, focus on Rodman's WCW career especially because as we've talked about with NWO as they were introducing different members uh, Rodman was one of the people that joined uh, the new world order uh, making a cameo on Monday Night Nitro in 97 with the NWO Um, to be honest you know I thought that was like perfect casting at the time right like NWO was this counterculture group and there was probably no one more counterculture than Rodman in basketball.
1: Yeah, and if you're, if you're, you know, Bischoff has been pretty open that the reason he wanted to do this was because it gets you a ton of mainstream media attention that, in his words, he would never be able to afford for WCW. And if you're going to do that, you want someone who can, A, sell it, and Rodman was, like, a pretty natural, even though he wasn't, like, the best quote or whatever when he was in the NBA, he was a pretty natural showman and a pretty naturally charismatic guy. Um, and then also, like, Rodman was a controversial figure. So if you're bringing someone in with the express purpose of getting people mad and getting eyeballs on it. Rodman was the the perfect guy for it. On top of which, like from the he was, you know, his stuff in the ring was awkward. But you can tell <laughs> from the second he's on the screen, like he just gets what the NWO is about and like what the personality side of wrestling is supposed to
0: look like. So in the documentary that I watched on WWE Network called Rodzilla Runs Wild, Hogan talks about that, how... Rodman would be late showing up. Didn't seem like he would be very into it. But whenever the cameras were on, he would just turn it on for the crowds. So really, not that much different from how he was with the Bulls. Um, a thing is interesting too. First of all, Jay Leno was in WCW at one point. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and David Arquette and everyone else.
0: Like, I guess, I guess Leno makes sense. I mean, he was like the biggest late night talk show host. That that just seemed a little desperate.
1: Yeah, it's I mean like to have him to have him be a part of things would be one thing but to have him be in an actual match is you know I talked about how at some point you can pull the curtain back or like break kayfabe a little too much to go back I think that's a that's a scenario where like you can't put the ink back in the pen on that like once you have Jay Leno hitting moves on your top guys
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So Rodman um is featured in the main event at Bash of the Beach 1997 which I guess would be the quote-unquote one-year anniversary of the formation of NWO and man Lex Luger's in this again man so it's it's Hulk Hogan and Rodman for the NWO against Lex Luger and the Giant um, anything stand out to you with this match or what you remember from it
1: Not really. It's just like (laughs) it's so trash. All these Rodman matches are trash. Yeah, I mean, the
0: the pop he gets for throwing the arm drag is amazing. Oh, yeah. 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 So what happens is like they literally take 30 minutes to start the match between the intros and just them circling the ring like it takes forever. And like 10, 15 minutes into the match, Rodman finally gets tagged in. And then it takes like another 10 minutes for them because Rodman and Luger just circle each other and Rodman keeps going over to Hogan's corner for tips. And then when they finally lock up and Rodman throws Luger with the arm drag, the crowd honestly goes crazy.
1: Yeah, it's nuts, man. It's like, that's a, it's a pretty easy move to throw, but that's it. The crowd just needs you to throw one tight arm drag and posture around a little bit. And then, and then like get out of the way for the actual match to happen and then come back for the finish.
0: Robin has a few impressive leapfrogs too during the match that that's (laughs) really the only other thing i can point to like out of 10 what would you grade him as a wrestler like a two
1: (laughs) yeah he's pretty pretty far on the low end like i said he he understands all the personality stuff and like how to play the crowd but his actual like he's very he's more mechanical moving around than you would expect for a guy who like thrived on energy and his second bounce and stuff like that like he moves pretty stiffly um especially like later once you get to compare him to malone and like to hear diamond house page talk about how like malone trained like a madman and rodman and bishop being like rodman didn't show up to most of the practices for the match and stuff like that like that shows um, but i think also like rodman probably also understood that like you know he's there to be a character and not a. Uh, you know, I don't think he had any, whereas Malone, like, had those quotes about growing up wanting to be a wrestler, I don't think Rodman had, like, any thoughts that he was going to turn this into a wrestling career, he was just just there to have fun.
0: No, he was literally there to hang out, and at one point in the documentary, Bischoff talks about how he basically gave Rodman a tour bus, and he would just go to strip clubs and, and hang out, so, you know, I think it was a, a mutually beneficial relationship. A couple of other highlights from this 97 match. At one point, Sting shows up and just nails the giant with a baseball bat. And at the, the match ends with Lex Luger putting Hulk Hogan in the rack and, and Hogan taps out. Um, and then Luger just proceeds to put everyone in the rack. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, I don't know, man. I, I, know, I know you're not a big fan of Lex Luger. I felt like he could have been something more. I don't, I don't know what went wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, if you're at that spot in that kind of a match, like, I don't know, maybe he was way more over and people liked him more than I remember. Maybe I just didn't like him that much. But to me, like going back and being like, man, Lex Luger has this big a spot in all these matches, it feels weird. It feels a little <laughs>
0: out of place. So the fo- the following year leading up to 1998 Bash of the Beach, which is going to take place about a month after the 98 NBA Finals, which is the last dance season for the Bulls. So WCW knows that Robin is interested in coming back. And DDP meets Carl Malone at a Rockets Jazz game. And Malone's been a huge wrestling or wrestling, as he calls it, fan growing <laughs> up. And um, DDP's sitting in the crowd and Malone, you know, throws him the diamond cutter during a timeout. And they meet backstage and they talk. First of all, I just got to say, man, watching all these clips of Carl Malone, this man has zero sauce.
1: Yeah, it's weird for a guy who loves wrestling that much and watch it that much and like knows enough to throw the diamond cutter sign up at diamond Dallas page. Like you think you'd have a little bit more of that personality would sink in, right?
0: Yeah. And when he gets introduced in the 98 bash of the beach match, they literally, the announcer calls him the hardest working man in the NBA, which is like the most zero sauce gimmick. Yeah. It's Norman Powell's gimmick.
1: (laughs) Carl Malone's out there like Dennis Robin doesn't understand my grind
0: no it's terrible so DDP pitches the idea to Eric Bischoff that they should have a Rodman Malone match that would involve DDP with Rodman and Hogan with Malone so this is all set for Bash at the beach I don't think they have publicly announced it yet and then it goes to this really controversial moment after game three of the 98 finals between the Bulls and the Jazz where Rodman and Malone are playing in Robin shows up on Monday Night Nitro in the middle of the NBA Finals and delivers chair shots um, with Hogan to DDP. Like, this was incredible for, for this guy to show up in the middle to of the miss finals. an
1: NBA Finals <laughs> practice. Like, like, can you imagine this past year, Siakam and Draymond just, like, miss media availability after a practice day? And everyone's like, what the hell's going on? And then, like, you turn on SmackDown later and... <laughs> And Siakam's, like, Siakam's, like, attacking. I don't know. I don't know what the – there's no equivalent. No one's that big a star today. But it's crazy to think of, like, even Dr- like Draymond, who is probably the biggest lightning rod guy and the most likely to do something like that in the current NBA. It would be insane. Like, no it- – he no, would never recover from from that. It would be talked about for weeks. It's like, look at how we talk about Vince Carter going to his graduation. Still. His graduation. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even miss anything. He just, like, took a flight to his graduation, and, like, people were like, well, maybe he didn't get enough sleep. It's like, no, it's Dennis Rodman's rolling out to blast someone with a chair.
0: Yeah, no, that was a crazy am I going to get suspended heat check from Rodman to do that in the finals. Who who do you think the Raptor most likely to do that? I'll, I'm going with Serge Ibaka.
1: Yeah, I think it is. Like, I, I don't think Ibaka has the... He doesn't strike me as someone who's a wrestling fan but if you laid out what you need from a celebrity wrestler he checks the most boxes right like he's got the size he's good looking he's got like that swagger to him a little bit he's fought guys in actual games before he's got basically the only thing he'd be lacking is like he's not that good a promo yet um but even then like he's got his own show that he hosts and stuff like that it would be serge would be high up there man james johnson was the answer before James Johnson is probably like the the NBA guy I think would most like would most successfully make the transition.
0: So the NBA fines Rodman ten thousand dollars for missing his mandated media availability. And, and this Hogan... is
1: where IRS comes in handy in the NWO.
0: They really should have done a crossover. Like IRS shows up and sits behind like Bob Costas at the finals. <laughs> that would have been amazing. So Hogan says in the documentary that. Phil Jackson's apparently dialing him nonstop, asking him where Dennis was at, which I would kind of dispute just given the fact that from what we've watched from the last dance, Phil seems pretty chill about just letting Dennis do his thing also like it's if you have watched wrestling documentaries
1: over time, like. It is impossible to take anything Hulk Hogan says legitimately. Like, he's always working and he's always trying to put himself over. I I was honestly surprised that Hogan wasn't like, well, Phil told me, brother, that if I can't get Rodman back, I was going to have to start at the four next to Michael.
0: <laughs> so you're saying that he's not a reliable narrator? No,
1: absolutely not.
0: <laughs> so the finals end and the Bulls obviously wrap up their second Pete in six games and a few weeks later they start really ramping up to build up this main event match at bash of the beach and on june 29th carl malone makes an appearance on monday night nitro and i have to say i just find it hilarious that this guy just lost back-to-back finals to the bulls with rodman on the roster and he's just showing up as a wcw wrestler like two weeks later
1: yeah it's uh (laughs) yeah I don't like, even know what to say like yeah. Like, it's uh sorry, me responding like yeah and laughing a bunch of times <laughs> is not great podcasting, but it's exactly the reaction that I had.
0: Like I get, I mean DDP tells this whole backstory about obviously like Malone's love for wrestling growing up and how hard he worked at the power plant to to train for the match like meanwhile Rodman's just showing up hungover, which I feel like is another W for Rodman to be honest and, and they have this whole appearance on the Tonight Show with um, WCW uh, alumni, Jay Leno, and they promote the main event and they get into this whole brawl and then there's like a press conference at at Planet Hollywood. I mean, if you were a wrestling fan, and you were a wrestling fan, but as a wrestling fan at the time, if you heard about this match, would you be very excited about it at the time? More from like the
1: spectacle standpoint of like wondering what it's going to look like and uh, the entertainment aspect. Like, WWE has done some stuff like that recently, and it's never something that you get up for where it's like, oh, man, I wonder if Floyd Mayweather and the Big Show can put on a good match. But, like, the spectacle side of it is can still be pretty entertaining. And, like, you know, Rodman was such a huge personality. Even if you weren't an NWO guy, like, I don't know how you could cheer for Carl Malone in this. Um, now, at that point, DDP was, like, on the rise, and DDP is, like, the coolest Um, especially like in this documentary, he's the best, like, he's absolutely the guy of all these people in the documentary that I would want to hang out with the most to talk to the most. Um, he seems like the best dude, but the coolness difference between Rodman and Carl Malone, I I probably would have been pretty fired up to see, to see what they could have done and and see, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would have been on the NWO side of that.
0: Yeah. So it's Rodman and Hogan versus Malone and DDP at Bash of the Beach, 1998, And I got to say, man, when DDP and Malone come out, they get a pretty decent pop. But when Malone is in the ring or when he gets tagged in, like at no point did I seem like the crowd was interested in him at all. No. And that's I think that speaks to like the gap and
1: cool factor kind of. And like, obviously, from a basketball standpoint, Malone is one of the best power forwards ever and had this tremendous career. And on a basketball court would be high on the list of like guys you didn't want to mess with. But in terms of translating that to wrestling entertainment, like I talked about how Rodman's movements were kind of mechanical, but he got the personality side of it. Malone was almost the opposite where like his personality is so mechanical um, that even though he was like, you know, looked a little bit more like a wrestler and moved a little bit more like a wrestler, he just like didn't have he didn't have the grasp of the showman side.
0: Yeah, no, he was literally a a zero on on the charisma charts. And it's it's funny, during the match, they mentioned that there are a bunch of athletes that are there and included our uh, Malone's Jazz teammates, Antoine Carr, who was, I believe, like the 17th junkyard dog in the NBA, (laughs) Uh, Brian Russell, Chris Chalios, and, and former Raptor Tracy Murray was apparently there. And they make a big deal out of how there's a lot of uh, media coverage for this match, especially from uh, sports media. I wonder, like, there ha- must have been, like, basketball writers who were there to cover this. I would hope so, man. Like, do
1: you know how much of my athletic travel budget I would blow if there were, if the Raptor <laughs> was in, in a match like this? And I think that that was, like, like, Bishop is pretty straightforward that that's part of the plan here, and that's why... That's part of their their incentive to do it was they wanted to get that kind of publicity. So I'm sure that like whoever worked PR for WCW was rolling out the like ESPN, you know, whoever would come cover it, we'll hook you up and we'll we'll take care of you.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, man, watching this match, like I'd be pretty pissed if I paid for this pay per view.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it's not just that the match is bad, but the whole event is bad, right?
0: um like I don't know man I'm looking at my notes like there's not really a lot of highlights like I guess the big moment for Rodman and Malone was towards the end when Malone hits the diamond cutter on Rodman but then you get this like crazy anticlimactic ending because so NWO I guess um the former Brutus the Barber Beefcake was an NWO and he was the yeah. disciple. And he so he comes in, interferes, and that's how Hogan and Raman gets the win, and the whole thing was just very unsatisfying.
1: Yeah, and this is part of the issue with the NWO in general that I was talking about earlier, is that like every match ended that way. Like, <laughs> but like WCW went like three years without having a clean finish in a main event.
0: That's ridiculous. And, and like if you're gonna build this match um, and, and have so much hype behind it. You gotta find someone cooler than the the, the disciple to like decide yeah, like, this of Yeah, look event. at all the
1: other guys you have in NWO at this point.
0: Yeah, that's ridiculous. I will say that the Rodman was wearing a Rodzilla shirt in this match, and that is one of the most sought after vintage items on the market. Like the Damn. last time I saw it online, it's it was listed at like five hundred dollars. Damn,
1: that's uh, almost as much as my The Great One shirt. <laughs>
0: I have to say, man, if I knew that wrestling shirts were going to appreciate in value like this, I should have just done some more like mail orders or whatever. However, we bought them in the 90s.
1: Uh, I will say on this card, as much as it was like fairly bad, w- there is Eddie Guerrero against Travel Guerrero and Ray Mysterio Jr. against Chris Jericho, which is like, as far as cruiserweight undercard action goes, pretty good stuff.
0: I think that was a problem. like, I know we've touched on this multiple times. Uh, with WCW at the time is that they had all these talented guys but you know everybody just ended up focusing on the NWO and they just drove that storyline in the ground and just didn't care about anybody right
1: and like it was also during the era of like Goldberg squashing everyone which was like cool but then once he got to like the heavy like once he got to title contention him squashing everyone like is kind of anti-climate like he beat Kurt Kurt Hennig he beat Mr. Perfect in like three minutes in a heavyweight championship match.
0: Yeah, that like kind of just that, kills everybody, right?
1: Yeah, once you get to the top like that, it's like, and then what, what they did eventually with Goldberg was dumb too, with the cattle prod and everything. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> what
0: was a what was his official streak? Do you remember like what he got up to?
1: Oh, uh, I don't remember
0: <laughs> the streak. No,
1: all I remember really is uh that he that when he went to WWF eventually they tried to redo the streak and they were just like fudging the numbers and pretending that he had like beat guys on house shows and stuff it was like one raw it would be like five and then the next would be nine and oh i just looked at it was 173 and oh
0: and who beat him um
1: he lost it to kevin nash after scott hall like
0: hit him with a taser oh so like not a clean win no Uh, oh and speaking of vince mcmahon just copying ideas remember gilberg (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, that was that was funny though. Where like, where fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon was lame. Gilbert was at least humorous. Like him having sparklers is really funny.
0: Yeah, I'll give you that. So Robin and and Hogan get the win. And I was looking online. I guess Robin has a few more matches in WCW. I, I didn't really. Um... Yeah, he
1: fought Macho Man.
0: Yeah. Um. So. But those were like the two most high-profile matches that he was involved in in 97-98. I don't know if, if you have anything to add to Rodman and Malone's appearance in WCW. To this day, I mean, I know he was fulfilling his wrestling dream, but I don't know what Malone got out of it except to say that he was part of WCW at one time.
1: Yeah, like I feel like Malone probably went in with the mentality that like, you know the bulls get all the attention this would be a good way for me to show personality people finally realize that I'm cool too and then it just like
0: flopped in that in that way yeah. i feel like the modern day equivalent legit would be like if paul millsap like wrestled <laughs> in a main event like 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 what are you what are you doing yeah. um so we're going to get to the awards so for the awards and three stars we decided to do um nwo members um, because we kind of touched on the rise and fall. So let's uh, let's hear your three stars, Blake.
1: Yeah, I think with the NWO, you pretty much have to go Hogan, Nash, and Hall in some order. Um, obviously, they were the biggest three, and it was all built around them. And I think that, like, the moment that Hogan goes heel is so important to everything that followed that Hogan has to get first star. Like him being able to pull off the heel turn when he was kind of stale and nobody ever really thought he would he would go heel or would be able to pull it off. Um, I think he's at the top, even though like Hogan's booking and Hogan being at the top of the card for so long offered some complications later. Uh, none of that's possible without the enormity of Hogan. I would give Nash second star over Hall. Uh, Even though, like, career wise, I probably like Razor and Hall a little better, Um, Nash being such a good promo guy really helped nail, um, you know, as they were teasing leading up to it. And then eventually, when they split off into Hollywood and Wolfpack, um, Nash being like the best NWO guy on the mic was pretty important. So I go Hogan, Nash, and Hall in that order. I don't like giving Hulk Hogan props like that, but you got to do it sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can throw Carl Malone onto that list too of not wanting to give guys any props. But I don't think we've given Malone any props in this episode. Um I I'm with you on the three stars exactly with Hogan Nash and Hall and like you said, uh Hogan's heel turn was just such a huge and cool moment just overall uh, I think for wrestling that it's, it still resonates when when you revisit it over time. The Patrick Patterson award Man, I had to dig through some lists. and I'm just going to give it to Horace Hogan, who apparently was on on NWO. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: I'm going to give mine to The Giant. Uh, (laughs) At the start of the NWO storyline, The Giant was, like, on this huge upswing. Like, he had been given the 1996 Rookie of the Year and Wrestler of the Year by PWI. Um, But, like, he switched back and forth and, like, got turned on and punked so many times over the course of the NWO storyline that it just, like it was completely impossible and it's impossible now looking back to like trace, like what was this guy's motivation? Why is he doing any of this stuff? Like he's bigger and better than everyone. Why isn't he like, like why are you deferring when you're the giant and you were the champion and stuff like that? Um, I think the amount of switching back and forth and the amount of times that it was just like, not like they just used the giant for dramatic effect. Cause he was so big instead of trying to make him a guy. Uh, it f- ended up flopping pretty bad, um, and then like him coming to WWF after as Paul White, the Big Show is just oh man. Big Show it, intro
0: it, music's pretty fire though.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You just can't you can't utter a guy's name a guy's shoot name when his name's Paul White.
0: <laughs> oh man, wrestling's amazing, man. The the yeah. Gerald Henderson Award um, for me it was someone who you know uh, maybe because of their association with the nwo or through the nwo uh, was able to raise their profile a bit i'm gonna give it to scott scott steiner aka big papa pump because i feel like him like he really got elevated for a few years there in wcw
1: yeah he's a good pick um it's funny because we we did King of the Ring the last time on the podcast and like Scott Steiner was still like the All American Wrestler Scott Steiner at that point, point. Yeah. Uh, and now obviously uh, by NWO he's the uh, he's the genetic freak the big bad booty daddy, uh, all those things. Uh, Steiner's a good pick. My pick is Macho Man. Um, Macho Man ran into a little bit of like what I said with the Giant where like he, there were just too many swerves. But the thing that I appreciate about Macho Man was that like his character always had good motivation. Like he goes to the, he originally fights off the NWO. And then the reason he joins up with them is like logical and you can understand why, but then he's the only one who sees through Eric Bischoff being this little twerp manipulator. And that's why he goes away from it. And so at any given time, like Macho Man's the only one who's doing all these swings around, but he has like logical character motivation. Uh, Also like, underneath the main nwo storyline macho man's feud with diamond dallas page won the pwi feud of the year in 1997 so like you had the top nwo guys and the top wcw guys going at it but like the number two nwo versus wcw feud was macho man ddp and that kind of helped like make ddp and got him big enough where like he could go against hogan as part of the rodman malone storyline so a uh, pretty good run there for late career run for macho man too
0: yeah, no, I, I didn't know a lot of that. Um, awesome. That um, that does it for us for the NWO Dennis Rodman podcast. Blake, you got to come back for, what are we doing next? WrestleMania 10?
1: Yeah, I think so. you said someone requested that we do WrestleMania 10, right?
0: Yeah, I, I did get a request, and I think we had put it on the list already. And honestly, I think it'll be easier to talk about. The WWF stuff, just because it feels more familiar. Like when I was researching this stuff, like there's just a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Like obviously, I think you know we all knew NWO, but to get into like the nuance of it was just, it was pretty daunting.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like some of the some of the guys who were WCW lifers just like don't interact with the WWF side, where like all the big name WWF side guys interact with the wcw side so like you almost no matter whether you're a fan of wcw wwf like everyone knows the wwf guys if that makes sense um oh yeah Yeah. i have one other closing thought by the way i know that we were going to talk more about like how wrestling has used celebrities and pro athletes and stuff like that um outside of just rodman i just want to say d'angelo williams wrestled for tna like impact wrestling a couple years ago he just did one match and he was amazing He's like probably the best in ring any of these crossover guys have ever looked. And he just never did again. He did one match and then that was it.
0: That's amazing. I might have to pull up one of those Jay Leno matches, man. I honestly can't believe that that happened.
1: Look, the one thing I will say about that is that if Jay Leno can wrestle a professional wrestling match, my dream of doing one is not done yet. (laughs) I could still get there at some point.
0: Yeah. You'd, you'd have more sauce than Malone, but that's a low bar. Um, All right, Blake. We'll talk um, next time. WrestleMania 10.
1: Thanks, man.